Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live, uh, beginning of the week. Uh, the uh, pandemic uh, is still here, unfortunately, but we all make our way through it in whatever means possible. Joining me now is the professor, John Clayton, NFL insider for a very long time. He's been around uh, reporting on this league and now I just find out that it's also doing some writing for the Washington Post. So um, now that's a that's a newspaper with a lot of history. It really is. It's like you know, it's one of those bucket list type of things because yeah, I've been so fortunate that uh, first off, my 22 years at ESPN was fantastic. They're great people. I miss working with them because I mean they are such great people. Uh, but uh, what ended up happening is that uh, you know things changing was but they wanted to make some changes and all that stuff and uh, again they've been so generous through the time and even after the fact but again got a chance to do a column for the washington post now starting my, my third season of doing that that's been a blast and again bucket list type of thing because you know being in newspapers as long as i had you know over 22 years to be able to work on such a, a paper of excellence i'm just flattered i could just see it now woodwood bernstein and clayton it's got a ring to it <laughs> So the recently concluded um, draft and the schedule came out, and uh, we kind of think the NFL is going to start on time in September. Uh, what could derail that? Obviously, the uh, the pandemic and certainly the virus, because basically the virus is dictating all the things that can happen. And you know, I know that uh, they're just opening things up countrywide now. Of course, you know, we were the epicenter here in the Seattle area, the state of Washington, so we even have a, uh, even a better feel for a lot of things. And we just know you don't know what can happen. And so once you start to get to the fall, that's when you could have a second wave, and that could be a problem. And so that's why, at least from the league standpoint, you monitor every thing that's going on right now you know taiwan baseball with the thousand people in the stands for those games seeing if there's any problems there you know the openings now of the restaurants and hair salons and things like that uh what kind of problems come out of that and then you know what kind of problems come out when you do assemble a crowd and you can imagine that one of the things that probably will happen if there i would i still think that they'll start the season on time can't guarantee it but what you'll also see, if st- people are going to be in the stands, you're talking maybe 25% capacity because you've got to honor the six-foot distancing rule. And that's something that, you know, living here out where the epicenter was in this country, you know, we all realize that. And that's going to be with us for some time, particularly through the rest of this year. John, as you look uh, at the season and with the, uh, the crisis that we're involved with, the, the – um the teams that did well last year from Kansas City to San Francisco and all on down the line, uh, 
the, the inability to, to really work, and we don't know when they're going to start, when they're going to go to training camp and so on, and what's, what problems that presents. But just take it on face value. The Kansas City Chiefs, you would you say, in the AFC is still the team to beat, and San Francisco in the NFC still the team to beat? Yeah, I would say that uh, you know, the two teams, I mean, certainly Baltimore and Kansas City atop the AFC. And that's that's not going to change because I, I don't know if Baltimore can get back to the 14-win season. That may be very difficult, but it's still a quarterback-driven league. And the best quarterback in football right now, I think, is Patrick Mahomes. And so Mahomes uh, has the edge and certainly did last year in going to the Super Bowl. In the NFC, uh, one team that I think needs to be mentioned is the New Orleans Saints because the Saints, I think, are as talented as the 49ers. And remember, the 49ers have taken a little bit of a hit with the trade of DeForest Buckner, probably their best defensive player, and you know no improvement at the cornerback position. So that's a little bit in question. But I think right now, New Orleans, San Francisco, but one thing to kind of keep in, uh, in looking at is that the NFC is so much better than the AFC. Because in the NFC, you've got 12 starting quarterbacks making $21 million a year. Mm. 11 of them have been, have been to the Pro Bowl, and the one who didn't, with Jimmy Garoppolo. You look in the AFC, at the moment, there's 10 quarterbacks in three years or less experience. Now, obviously, you know, the three top is Deshaun Watson. You've got uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson. But a lot of the other quarterbacks that have three years or less experience aren't winners. They have losing records. And then you still have two more that can be added in Tua. And you can have another one that could be starting in Justin Herbert. And so that gives a big advantage. It's tougher in the NFC than it is in the AFC. Go back to San Francisco for a minute. You mentioned Garoppolo. In watching him play last year, uh, was he the reason why they got what they got? I would say probably not. Uh, he was a contributing factor, but he wasn't the reason. I mean, he wasn't. He didn't have the Patrick Mahomes influence on his team that Mahomes did on the Chiefs. So is Garoppolo? And look, Garoppolo's not a stupid guy. He reads, and there's all, there's been a question mark about. Maybe they won in spite of him, or you know, maybe not that harsh. And there was some discussion, I understand, when the, the, when the future of Tom Brady, did the 49ers even consider looking at him? Were they okay with Garoppolo? Tell me what you know as to the 49ers quarterback situation, and does Garoppolo feel this need to prove to some people that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league? Yeah, I, I think... He'd like to be able to do that, but right now I don't think anybody's buying that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league because you put him in the same category as Jared Goff. You know, Jared Goff was good, but it was a surrounding talent that helped make, get them to the Super Bowl. Same thing for the 49ers. What the 49ers did is like they, they, out of respect to Tom Brady, who knew his preference would be to come to San Francisco where he grew up, uh, they listened, they talked, but they, I don't think they were serious about it. I mean, they like Garoppolo enough. Now, again, remember, Kyle Shanahan uh, was a little reluctant on the trade because the guy he was waiting for was Kirk Cousins, because he worked with Kirk so well in Washington, and then uh, the trade was made, and it turned out to be good. Yeah, but you can see the impact of having Garoppolo back. Here they go from the second worst team in football. They had a good offseason adding to the defense, you know, getting D Ford, getting Nick Boza, getting Quam Alexander, and then you bring back the quarterback, and all of a sudden they're the most improved team in the league and go to the Super Bowl. Well, some of that is Garoppolo, a lot of that is the team, and a lot of that is Kyle Shanahan being able to coach. But uh, again, they they are good 
but I, I, if you're putting a ranking right now, I, I'd have Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo in the teens, not up near where you have Mahomes, who might be the best quarterback in football right now. Looking at the schedule for San Francisco, it's not daunting early on. Yeah, the Cardinals, they got them at home. Then they go on the road and play both New York teams within a week apart, so they'll probably stay on the East Coast playing the Jets and the Giants before they come home to play the Eagles and the Dolphins So and then the Rams. So I wouldn't say that the, the 49ers' schedule in the first five or six weeks is overly difficult. Yet, when you look at Kansas City Chiefs' schedule, John, as good as they are, they're going to be tested and tested early. they got a home game against the Texans to open up. They go on the road and play the Chargers, on the road to play the Ravens. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly a day at the beach the first three weeks. No, it isn't. And where the uh, advantage for San Francisco in the schedule, now again, the one thing that holds it back a little bit, they're probably in the toughest division in football because right now sure. I think the NFC West is a little bit deeper and better than the NFC North. You can maybe say the NFC South is pretty close, but that's the best division in football. So the division games aren't going to be easy, and Arizona uh, is going to be probably just like San Francisco, not a Super Bowl team, but I think they're going to be the most improved team in football. So that's on that's that makes it tough. But you know they have roughly the 49ers, you know seven or eight games against quarterbacks that are three years or less experience and so that is an advantage because they take on the nfc east which last year was the worst out of the divisions uh, division in nfl history i mean what they were 12 and 28 outside the division that's worse than the 2007 afc west worst in football history they also take on the afc east and look at all the young quarterbacks they face there. So that's an advantage for the 49ers. It's an advantage for Seattle. It's an advantage for all the teams in the NFC East. And you're right, Kansas City does have a tough start to the schedule, but they still, when you have the best quarterback, you can still pull these things out. We'll see the damage that's been done by some of the trades that Houston's made, if that's pulled that team back a little bit. But overall, uh, you know, I still think that uh, you know, it's going to be hard to catch up, unless you're Baltimore, maybe Pittsburgh, with Kansas City. I bet, you know, the Houston trade of DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, there's still got to be the biggest shock we've seen during the offseason. And I realize it was a money issue and so on, but you got maybe the best receiver in football and you let him walk out the door. Shouldn't they have found another way to make this thing happen? You would think so. I mean, uh, the simple thing is, you know, Hopkins wanted money, some extra money, and his relationship with Bill O'Brien had deteriorated. And so now uh, Bill gets, I guess, upset and now trades them. But think about what ended up happening. Okay, they make the trade, and Hopkins was making $16.2 million a year. Eventually, they ended up trading for Brandon Cooks. Who's making $16.2 million a year. They had to pick up the $13 million a year contract on David Johnson. And if you look at the uh, roster right now of the Texans, they have four receivers making $43 million a year Ouch. on the average. Four for 43. And it's just remarkable to think that you know he had to pluck down that much money and not even get a first-round pick in the Hopkins trade. It's, it's one of the biggest head scratchers we've seen in years. Yeah, there's no question. And and, and certainly O'Brien's going to be under a microscope. I, I look at it. Let's get the, the, the biggest story before the draft, before the schedule came out during the offseason, was Tom Brady leaving New England. Uh, it didn't necessarily surprise anybody that he left. Apparently he wanted two years and the Patriots were only, or Belichick was only re- ready to go one. Uh, and, and, uh, and Bob Kraft, Stay, stay out of the discussion to his credit. 
uh, let's face it, you don't want to upset a guy who's put, who's put six rings on your fingers. And by the way, I did not think, read that Robert Kraft auctioned off one of the rings. The three hundred, and, and of course, yeah, he lost one to Putin when he was over visiting <laughs> Putin, and he showed him the ring, and Putin never gave it back. So he's now going to be down two Super Bowl rings. <laughs> uh, you know, I I understand, uh, but I I also look at Belichick and Brady, and who's got more pressure on him this season to win? Is it Brady? He's got some good weapons around him. Is it Belichick, who's going with with a young quarterback who played sparingly last year and stood him? Who's got more pressure on him, Belichick or Brady? Belichick, because now you have to justify it to the fans of Boston and the fans of the Patriots. It's like, did you really think this was a good way to let him go? And I think what you can see is that the long relationship that they had was wearing on Tom Brady. I saw one comment that was made uh, about Rob Gronkowski, and the comment was, you know, Rob Gronkowski didn't retire from football, he retired from Bill Belichick, because Bill hmm. Belichick is demanding he's tough he makes it sometimes unpleasant for the players but he wins and that's why it always works it's like you know some of the the bill belichick uh, coaching tree people that have failed you know they try to bring use the belichick method but if you don't win then the players aren't going to be happy because if you win you can at least satisfy and make it work out but there's more pressure on bill on this one because i mean you look at the team and could he have allowed the buffalo bills to pass the Patriots in the division, and I think that may be the case. And the idea for Brady is that all he can do, I don't think he can catch New Orleans, but he's going to automatically make them a playoff contender, more wild card than anything else, and see if he can get them to 9-10 to 10 wins. Again, it's tougher in the NFC because of the quarterbacks, the teams. You get 10 legitimate playoff teams, maybe 11 in the NFC. You don't have that in the AFC. You, you mentioned Buffalo, and right now you'd say that Buffalo's got as good a chance to win the division. Uh, they only finished a couple of games behind New England last year, and that was with Brady. So now here's Buffalo, and he's still got a young quarterback in Josh Allen, uh, who's still got something to prove. But the addition of Stefan Diggs, who I guess, based on what I'm hearing, was a bit of a headache in Minnesota, uh, and then Singletary to run the ball. So Allen's got weapons around him, and the defense was pretty stout too last year. So... I think it's fair to say that Buffalo's a team to beat in that division. Yeah, I do too, because they've done a good job, Brandon Bean, of trying to go ahead and uh, you know, just bring in good players. And last year they brought in depth. Now they start bringing in some guys that can start going to the Pro Bowl because that tra- trade for Diggs is really going to help. And you're right, yeah, it's still a matter of that. Say what you want about Josh Allen. I mean, he may not have a winning record against winning teams. I think he's something like 5-8. and eight. But uh, he's been good enough in some of the games to at least get them into the playoffs. Now, what he needs to do is improve that average of 20 points a game or less and start being a little bit more formidable on offense. Defensively, they're sound. They're good. And so uh, I think right now the Bills are ready to take over the division and maybe be able to do it for some time. You uh, look at this AFC East, uh, and the Miami Dolphins have made a lot of moves. Uh, they had a lot of draft choices. They made a lot of moves in free agency. And Tua Tagovailoa, how about that, John? I got the name pronounced right. Very good. Uh, yeah, not bad. Um, for somebody from Brooklyn, that's not bad at all. Um, but but it, it seems pretty clear that Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to start the season at quarterback, and I would think they're going to bring Tua along slowly. That would be the wise thing to do because, you know, and that would be the wise thing to do in a normal year, particularly with him coming off hip surgery. 
But I think the other thing that's important about this is that with no off-season program and, uh, you know, the possibility of a shortened preseason, maybe four games, two games, no games, who knows, that it's going to be hard to ask any rookie quarterback to come in and provide immediate help. The issue that's going to be tough for the Dolphins is, again, not having the off-season program because trying to integrate so many new players, maybe as many as eight or nine new starters, is going to be very difficult. Uh, you know, it can be done. We saw how things came together for teams back in 2011 when the lockout wiped out the off-season programs. Uh, it wasn't easy, and there were certainly going to be some issues. But you know, the younger the team, the tougher it's going to be trying to make that transition. So you start thinking, okay, just have a decent season this year and then start to really groom up for 2021. Yeah, that leaves the New York Jets. And Joe Douglas set out during the offseason by having to fortify the offensive line. He addressed it heavily in free agency as well as in the draft or the drafting of Mikai Becton, who is either a small building or a very large man. But this guy's got incredible quickness for a man of his size. And I don't know if he's going to start at left tackle or right tackle. They got, they got some juggling to do, but at least they have attended to what was their biggest need. No question. Yeah, and that's uh, particularly to the protection is going to be needed for Sam Darnold. It's also going to be needed for the running game, which, of course, is going to be Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore. And so I thought Joe Douglas did a very good job. But still, there's a lot of needs on that team. Hmm. Are they good enough at wide receiver? Okay, they, they could not get Robbie Anderson to take a deal. He ended up going to Carolina. I know that they you know, tried to do some help in the draft and everything else, but Quincy Anum was done for the season, so he's not going to be a help. And they're still a little weak at the cornerback position. Now the pressure is going to be on Adam Gaze, the head coach, to try to get the most out of Sam Darnold and try to get the most out of this team. And you know, if he can get Darnold to go uh, well, then it could work out. If not, it's going to be tough. Well, last year, as I recall, their schedule in their first six weeks was brutal, and at seven weeks, and they started out predictably one and six. So the schedule, again, still difficult. They got to open up in Buffalo, which we've already admitted is the team to beat in the division. But then they play the 49ers, albeit at home. They got to go on the road to play the Colts, home to the Broncos, home to the Cardinals, at the Chargers, and then the Bills again before they play the Patriot, the Chiefs on the road and the Patriots, and it goes on and on and on. I think they probably are a better team than they were last year when they were 7-9, and nine, but I don't know if the record's going to reflect it. No, yeah, I think I agree with that because you're right. That schedule is tough, and you know the more you lose, the tougher it is to get the players to start buying in and doing more and <clears throat> still with a young quarterback. So, yeah, I think that that puts them at a very big disadvantage. And you know, you look at the whole schedule of all the teams in the AFC East. Mm. You know, that is the toughest schedule. I mean, New England technically has the toughest schedule. You know, I think what five forty-seven, and uh, so yeah, that that's the tough part of what's going on for the Jets. And the Bills, I think, can withstand that. You know, they're probably not going to be able to get to 11 wins or whatever because the schedule will pull them back. But, hey, you might be able to win the division with nine games. But the Jets right now, I think, unfortunately, still could be drafting in the top ten next year. Well, we, you mentioned about some of the things they needed at the wide receiver. Uh, Denzel Mims, the guy they got, uh, I think I've watched a lot of him uh, on some games. I've seen him during the combine. I mean, I, I just think the guy's got an enormous amount of talent. And, look, Robbie Anderson was a good receiver, but let's not get him confused with Jerry Rice. He was a good receiver. Um, Should he have stayed with the Jets for maybe a little bit more money? Maybe, but I don't know. 
They pick up Perryman, who finished the season last year on a high note. So that may be a plus for them. Mims may be a plus for them. Herndon at tight end is a plus for them. You've already mentioned Quincy Anunua. Probably, his career is probably over. So, you know, I don't look at the Jets as a player in the division. But by the same token, uh, Sam Darnold should get more protection than he had last year. I mean, every time I put a Jet game on, John, this guy was running for his life. Oh, no question. Yeah, you, what you look at overall is that, uh, and that's the way, now getting Mims, I thought they were lucky. That was good because you know, he was a, a low first-round wide receiver, and to be able to pick him up, they got lucky on that one. But And this was certainly one of the best receiver drafts we've ever seen. Yeah. But the weird part about this, because what there was probably 25 guys that had third-round grades or better in this draft of wide receiver, there, you don't know how many number ones. You know, there's so many number twos and maybe number threes that can be good receivers. But even you go to the top, okay, I think, you know, you, maybe two of the three top receivers in this draft were pure number one guys. You know, certainly CD, CD going all the, the Dallas Cowboys, that was phenomenal. You know, Jerry Judic, I think, was a, a very good one, too. We'll see, we'll see where Ruggs is. Is he really, is he Brandon Cooks? Is he Tyreek Hill? Who is he? But all the way down, you see mostly number two receivers, and that's where the Jets, I think, have the problem right now. They don't have a number one receiver. They didn't last year. Right. They don't this year, and that that could you know that could stall down that offense. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I saw Alabama a lot last year, and I was particularly impressed with Jerry Judy in terms of his route running. For a guy as young and inexperienced, he proved to be a guy that learned his lessons well. He runs routes like a seasoned professional. Uh, what it translates to, we'll find out. Ruggs is the speedier receiver, but Judy seemed to be the more polished receiver, and I agree with you. I think C.D. Lamb was a steal for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, when you look at the comparables, uh, and you know, Judy, the comparable on him is either Marvin Harrison or Antonio Brown, which is pretty pretty impressive. And then you look at the comparable on uh, you know Lamb, C.D. Lamb is, I mean, is probably uh, Des Bryant. When he was young, those are that's number one talent right there. And you know, again, I think that you can see there was a trend, particularly you know, with the selection that the Raiders made, that they all want to catch up and have a Tyree kill because you can see that up and down the board for the receivers that went into the AFC West. But the question I still wonder about is Ruggs a number one receiver? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Look, I mean, we can all speculate, and, and it drives me completely nuts, John, when the day after the draft. The ratings come out. This team got an A. This team got a B. Blah 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 blah. You don't really know about these guys till two, three years down the road. Oh, I know. You go back to uh, 2012. That's when the uh, Seattle Seahawks took Bruce Irvin, a linebacker, in the first round, right? And uh, they, they were getting F grades for that. Well, out of that, that probably turned out to be the greatest draft in Seahawks history. Urban had a real good career as a linebacker, and of course he's bounced around to a couple of different places. Now he's back in Seattle. And then the number three, number two pick was Bobby Wagner, who was an all-decade middle linebacker and probably a candidate for the Hall of Fame. Yep. And then in the third round, they get Russell Wilson. So uh, sometimes that F grade may be a bad grade when you look down the line. Hey, John, you know this better than I do. I mean, you can go down the list of first-round busts at the quarterback position from Ryan Leaf to Jamarcus Russell, to Art Schleister, to Rick Meyer, to Andre Ware, Akili Smith, Jeff George, Vince Young, and yada, yada, yada like that. So, you know, I like Joe Burrow a lot, 
the question is, uh, does he step right in and play immediately for Cincinnati? It would seem, now that Dalton is gone, that, that, that Burrow's going to get the start week one. Yeah, yeah, and see, it was funny because when I looked at the talent in quarterback position in this year's draft, it reminded me so much of 2011 because, I mean, you saw the failure rate there because it worked out with Cam Newton. It worked out in the second round with Andy Dalton. It didn't work out for Jake Walker, Christian Ponder, Blake Bortles. You go through the list of first-rounders that didn't work out. But then you also compare what happened to them, too. And, again, I don't think this impacted them long-term, but short-term, they came in during a walkout. And so they didn't get the off-season preparation of the uh, – every other quarterback and of course the quarterbacks this year are going through the same thing so what i'm wondering how much will that slow them down the first year and will that impact them as they try to develop because i mean you look at this group of quarterbacks you can see a lot of good things but you could also see there could be a 50 50 failure rate yeah you're right um <clears throat> let's deal with a couple of guys right now cam newton um i mean i i don't know everybody seems to have an opinion about if he's going here if he's going there and or are they going to wait until the season starts and see which quarterback maybe gets injured or whatever? Uh, and then Jadavian Clowney. Uh, and uh, there, there's a feeling, and you're in Seattle, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Warren Moon has said to me that he, would, he doesn't expect Clowney to come back to Seattle. I was on with a guy from Seattle the other day who said he expects Count Clowney to resign. Where are you on this? Uh, I think he's going to leave, and, and he, he's played it wrong in the way he's tried to position himself negotiation-wise, because what he ended up doing, he starts out asking for 22 to $23 million a year. Well, he's not a sack guy. He's one of the six or seven best edge rushers in football, and he is very good, excellent. But without being, not being the double-digit sack guy, that pulls you down into that 17 to $18 million range. Okay, finally, two weeks into free agency, he put his number at 17 to 18 million but it wasn't going to work reason being now the uh, virus had taken over physicians were not allowed to give team physicals players couldn't go for team physicals and so he's now stuck like cam newton with the inability to get a, and with the injuries he's had you know he's got to find a way to get physicals because he started his NFL career with a micro fracture. He's just coming off other injuries. You know, he had the surgery, the core surgery that affected him. So he's stuck. And so right now he's just going to wait it out. And my guess is he made what over $15 million last year as a franchise player. I think he's going to make much less whatever team he goes to. Seattle kept the door open and is keeping the door open, but I think he's going to go for a different door, maybe Tennessee. And in the case of Cam Newton, there is no optimism right now. You know, Jacksonville kind of shut the door on him last week when they signed Mike Glennon. New England might consider him, but again, I think they want to go with Jared Stidham. And, you know, I think Cam, unfortunately, he's the best quarterback on the market. He was better than Andy Dalton, but unfortunately, he's in a position because of the injury that nobody can give him a physical. So he waits. NFC South, the Saints are the favorite to win the division. It, it seems pretty clear that Drew Brees has got one year, and then he's going to the television next year. At least that's what we're hearing. Are they? You, you look at a team like Tampa Bay that made a major adjustment at quarterback. They got a guy who's not going to throw 30 interceptions if, in four years, let alone do it in one year like, uh, like Jameis Winston did last year. But they lost... I want to say seven games last year by one score. Uh, that ain't going to happen with Tom Brady at quarterback. No, but here's the, here's the one thing, and again, I think th that certainly was the 
the most appealing move of the offseason and one of the most defining moves of the offseason because it brings legitimacy to a team that hasn't been to the playoffs, what, in nine years in a right, row? Right. And so getting him and Rob Gronkowski, you know, immediately puts them at the nine win level. But here's the thing that I wonder about what else have they added? Not much else. Because when you look at the roster, sure, they were able to keep the front seven together on defense. That's good. Uh, kept everybody on that front seven. The other part is, you know, it's an older team, one of the oldest teams in the league. And, you know, they got a draft. That was good. But the only other two players that they've added were two backup offensive linemen. Is that good enough? Are they good enough in the secondary? So I think those things, you know, that, that the thing that's amazing is if Tom Brady can win the division in the very difficult NFC, that may be one of the most remarkable things he's ever done because you know, with such few additions, to be able to take a seven-win team to you know, up to uh, 10 or 11 wins, that'd be incredible. I don't know if he can do it because, again, the conference is so tough and the schedule is tough. And we don't have to wait long either. They see each other week one in New Orleans, Tampa Bay and New Orleans. That is clearly the marquee game of the week. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, because, again, you know, can you imagine what the ratings of that game is going to be? Because, you know, you, you can see the impact of Tom Brady. You know, the Bucks hardly ever got a night game, a primetime game, and now they got five. The one that kind of baffles me, though, is like, really, Jared Stidham, five primetime games in New England? Uh, is that going to work? <laughs> we'll see about that. But, no, I think that, uh, and again, I think what you can see, the times you look at Tom Brady, how fresh he is, how happy he is. He, I think you can see, you know, and hopefully he won't walk into open doors next to the, uh, Byron Leftwich. Uh, he'll know where Leftwich's door is so that he doesn't get in trouble with the police. Well, there's no question in my mind uh, who the players in Tampa Bay are going to be looking to for leadership. It's going to be Brady. But I'm wondering in New England, where is the leadership going to come from from the players? Yeah, no, I agree with that. that and that. That's, that could be a big problem because, I mean, you look on defense and uh, other than Stephon Gilmore, who is going to be the leader? That is a big question. And so, and you know, who is going to have the leadership on the offense? I mean, you, know, you can only get so much out of Julian Edelman. We'll see how Jared Sidham could do it. But that's one thing that was so great about Tom Brady. I mean, he has such great leadership. I mean, those Friday meetings where he would get together with the wide receivers and the tight ends, and if they weren't doing what he wanted them to do, he made sure that they did. That leadership is missing. Yeah, appreciate your time, John. Thanks, Rod. It's always great to hear your voice. And I still like the ring of it. Woodward, Bernstein, and Clayton. It's got a ring. I like it, yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be great. You have a good day. Thank you. He's John Clayton, the professor, as we like to call him. I want you to stay safe. I want you to stay out of trouble and come back tomorrow on Howard David Live. So you folks have a great day. Thanks. And to close out the show, a friendly reminder that Howard David Inside Sports is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code MYPOD100, and they'll match your first deposit up to $1,000. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.